Time for your Thursday edition of the Fenway Rundown Podcast, Mass Lives Red Sox Show. I'm Chris Cotillo. Sean McAdam will be with me in a second. We usually have guests early in the week. We're changing it up this time around, and we're going to welcome Nesson's Jemai Webster to the show today. Jemai is a good friend of both Sean and myself, and obviously someone you're familiar with if you watch the Red Sox games. We're going to get into Jemai's career, take you behind the scenes of what it's like being around the team as much as he is. He's at more games than I'm at, more games than Sean's at. It's obviously a grind, but a fun one. We're going to get into some behind-the-scenes stories of, of really what it takes to be the Nesson sideline guy. So we appreciate Jemai's time. Red Sox back in action tonight against the Marlins. Uh, we're entering the second half of the season. Lots of coverage on MassLive.com, but some fun stuff with Jemai Webster this morning. We're here with Nesson's Jemai Webster, and we are on a time crunch completely imposed by him because he has a haircut uh, an hour and a half after we start recording this. It's going to take him some time to get there, so very specific guidelines, but that's what happens when you get one of the game's brightest stars. Uh, Jemai, we appreciate you joining us considering how busy your day's about to be. I just want to say, for two of my good friends, I would not wake up at the crack of dawn to do this for anybody else. So. You know, I had to punch you guys into my schedule and uh, we were able to make it happen. You called my people, talked to a few other people, you know, months and months of preparation. It was like Bill Burr. We really just had to, uh, you know, really talk to a lot of folks to make this happen. So uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, the reality is. We have to have you, but but in the interest of disclosure, we should let people know that in in very few areas of society is 9 a.m. considered the crack of dawn. <laughs> Right. We also asked you over the last two days, and the only de- only debate would be uh, trying to get somebody in the clubhouse to let you borrow a credit card for the hold for the haircut appointment that you had to book once you booked this. So you're very clear I wouldn't actually charge the card, still no one able to help you. So good luck with that today. I'm also, as you point out, that I need most days getting a haircut today. So a big day for both of us. Yeah, most definitely. Looks like you put gel in your hair this morning or something. I did wow is this this you rolling out of bed i mean is, you look better yeah. than you do in the afternoons in the clubhouse yeah it's the uh it's just the, the natural feel all right let's start with some legit questions uh as journalists we you know by basically talking in our case right in your case talk about the red Sox all the time we'll flip it and talk about you today which is uh i don't know how we're gonna get 30 minutes out of it but we're gonna try to find a way uh you're southern cal native went to cal state northridge very far away from here you ever think about how crazy it is? I think you were talking about this a little bit uh, in the clubhouse in Minnesota the other day that, you know, where your career's taking you, how far from home you are, and, and really, you know, establishing yourself and finding um, a home here in Boston that placed it. I don't know how much you knew about it growing up, but definitely not uh, close to where you're from. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I had only thing I knew about Boston is I used to have my Uncle Moses, may he rest in peace. He was from Boston. And he lived uh, on the Cape in Wareham. So, mm-hmm. you know, he used to, uh, you know, he'd never lost his Boston accent. So it was just funny because he used to come, he'd be like, you guys, all of yous. And, you know, he he had this accent growing up. So it always stuck out in my mind. And that's what I imagined Boston being like. But I never imagined that I'd ever live here, one, and be here this long, too. And then, you know. My kids are here. They were born here. They're basically Bostonians. They've known nothing else but uh, the Northeast. So it's just kind of crazy how life happens. You know, you graduate from college and you wonder, 
like how am I going to get to this point? Like I had aspirations to to try and reach some of the highest levels of television, regional sports, national sports networks. And uh, I just remember it feeling like it being so far away and like the journey um, would never come at that point. But here we are, what, 15 years later and uh, I, I'm, I'm doing it. So it's pretty incredible to think how far I've come in that regard. And and uh, sometimes you just got to take stock and in inventory of just how much you've had to work to get to this point. So uh, never in a million years would I've imagined living here for sure. I always, you know, expected to to be back home, I guess, at this point, to be completely honest with you. And um, it just kind of worked out this way. And you, in this industry, you just kind of go where the opportunities are. So that's why I've been here so long and uh, like to consider myself Boston uh, as they come. I mean, we'll get to a couple of the stops along the way in, in a second. But for you, was was baseball always the sport or is that another kind of surprising aspect of this? Yeah, just... absolutely. One hundred percent. I never imagined that I'd be this locked into this sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider myself, you know, like everybody. I played, you know, baseball growing up, but my attention span was just so short. So, you know, as you start to increase the levels, you start to take the ball off the tee. I was like, yeah, this is not for me. They're moving the ball. It's going all over the place. I'm striking out and it's a game of failure. So just as a kid, you kind of want a little bit more instant gratification. So I went to sports where you can kind of impact the game a little bit more with your skills. So baseball was one of those things that I I left behind probably when I was like 12 years old, 13 um played basketball ran track played football um a lot of the the more mainstream sports quote unquote so to speak so to be in baseball in this capacity I never saw this I never saw it coming at all but getting to Nesson and uh when I first got there I was just filling in and doing about I don't know 40 games sometimes 60 depending on certain situations that arise but I was always available to do it, but I was kind of the plan B there. And then last three years been full time. So uh, it's been something that uh, has been a pleasant surprise and I've kind of just grasped it by the, by the horn. So to get back to your original question, no, I never expected this. I thought I'd be doing basketball or football or something. Um, At least I guess my background was, you know, doing local news. So I'd cover all sports, all seasons and kind of just go with that. But to be just a baseball guy now, as I put up the air quotes again, um, is quite surprising. Now we're going to go to one stop along the journey that I think obviously is your most interesting. Um, I knew it. Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, it's probably the most interesting fact about you. I'm, I'm on <laughs> LinkedIn and I am, you know, I'm, cause this is not, this is a professional show. So I'm going to go to LinkedIn KITV4 Island news. That's where you work from 2010 to 2014 in Honolulu, Hawaii, talk about far from home. Here's what it says you did. You anchored a six six weekend sportscast. Um, report enterprise, produce, write, and edit all the content. Provide daily reports on local sports. And this is where it kind of goes off the rails a little bit. University of Hawaii athletics, high school sports, surfing, canoe paddling, and other various water sports as well as special events like the Pro Bowl. I know you're just there a couple weeks ago, and uh, based on how. Uh, disconnected and unplugged you were during your vacation telling everybody that you just wanted to never come home. I threatened to take the job while you were gone. It didn't take. Um, well, I'm glad you didn't do that. I yeah, don't know so are so the Nesson viewers, I promise. Um, 
face made for podcasting. But what what was what was the Hawaii experience like, and just how different is that from basically everywhere else you've been? Man, first off, Big J journalist Chris Cotillo, uh, very thorough with your biography. I mean, come we on. We started rolling at nine, and I looked that up at eight fifty eight. So you yeah. <laughs> look. How about that? How about that? An honest right. man as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, man, that was incredible. Honestly, it really it impacted my life in so many ways. Uh, my career definitely. Um, and because that was my second stop in my TV journey. So after a couple of years in Texas, where I started, I moved to Honolulu and I absolutely hated it. The first three months, I just, you know, had Island fever. I was like, this is not for me. It was cultural shock. And then I was like, you know what? Talking to my mom, talking to my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, just, you know, I had to just embrace it because th- at this point I signed a, I signed a three-year contract when I got there. And that was like the longest, you know, deal that I'd ever had. And obviously it's because they don't want people coming from the continental U.S. and leaving after a year or two, like most people do in your early part of your career, right? You just kind of stay at a place a year or two in TV and then you transition to the next gig. But they're like, yeah, we we do three-year contracts here (laughs) because we don't want people leaving. And at that point, it was just like my second job. So I was like, well, I'm kind of locked in. So I had to just embrace it. And then I hated my boss too at the time. (laughs) He was so hard on me and just trying to teach me everything. Basically, I had to unlearn everything I knew about television. So my first job, it was a lot of us young guys. So we kind of just based off of the experience that we got at the time. And then also uh, we had a, a boss who was a little bit older than us, but he really didn't know much to to be able to teach us and you know teach us about you know building contacts and forging relationships and you know creating sources and things of that nature so this boss was so hard on me and I mean every day like he would come in like I said I did six weekend sportscasts he would come in on the weekends on his days off and I'd do a show and he'd he'd call me in the office because he'd be sitting in there and we'd be going over the show that I just did. Like, and he'd be tearing me apart, ripping me absolutely apart, shredding me. And I was like, dude, this absolutely sucks. Like what's like, I felt like I couldn't do anything right. So this was, you know, like the first six months. And then after a while, he just stopped showing up and I was like, Oh, okay. And I, I wouldn't really get a call from him. And then it started to kind of taper off. So he'd call sometimes and be like, Hey, pull up this scripts. This is what you did. Blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, okay, but that, it was just like some tough love that really helped me. Um, You're like Alex Verdugo back then. Exactly. Honestly. Yeah. I'd love to describe it that way because it was like some parallels to the way Alex Cora has, you know, treated mm-hmm. him in their relationship, but it turned into a, a, a hate and then a love thing, you know, because he became, you know, one of my, you know, strongest advocates, my biggest mentor. And we just had this relationship through our lives and he actually, he just passed away like two years ago, but we had a great relationship and, uh, and it was because of him. So he brought me to the Island, gave me my opportunity. And just to go back to the beginning here really quickly, like, so I, I was living in Waco, Texas. I applied for this job 10 o'clock at night. You know, there's this thing on the internet called tvjobs.com. A lot of early TV jobs are listed there. So I applied for this job on the internet at 10 o'clock at night, sent my resume my resume tape, everything. And I, I was like, all right, close the laptop. 
it must have been an hour later, 11 o'clock. I get a call from an 808 number. This dude called me literally within an hour of applying. And I didn't answer because I was like, this has got to be spam or something. But he didn't leave a message, called him back the next day. And then kind of the process started from there. But he gave me my opportunity, brought me to the island. And I'll be forever grateful for that. But um, it was an incredible journey. Like I said, it, it was just being on the island, covering surfing, just these fringe sports, these niche sports that people outside of, of that area wouldn't really care about. So uh, canoe paddling, which was basically like the off season, it's a summer sport, right? Like right now it's going on huge and per capita, it's like the most uh, involved sport there on the island. So that was, that was fun and, you know, in its own right, but yeah, it, it was, it was good times. And then the Pro Bowl was always good while I was there. It should be back, but that's another story for a different podcast. Um, but I, I just really had a, a, an amazing time there. And uh, it's one of those things, like I said, personally and professionally sticks with me. That's where I got married. That's where um, I felt like I really made a leap career-wise um, before that. So uh, it was it was amazing. A lot of the foundation for that is kind of, you know, going into where I'm at now. So, Jemai, uh Take us on that journey from Honolulu to Boston. How is it that Nesson appears on your radar and how do you move and pack up and, uh, and uproot your life from 7,000 miles away? Well, so there was, so there was a stop before then actually. So it was, it was Texas, Honolulu, and then Denver. I was in Denver, Colorado for two years, then moved to Boston, but that transition kind of came slowly because um, at that point I was, I ended up being in Hawaii. So I signed a three-year contract, as I mentioned, but I ended up signing for an additional year because just how things were, nothing was appealing to basically leave. At that point, I'd become so comfortable there and I was having such a great time that I did not leave after my contract ended. I stayed for one more season or one more year. And then the big market started to call. You know, I, I had gotten a little bit, a uh, little bit more skilled at the job a little bit more comfortable on air uh, because of that tough love that I received. So people would come vacation there. And sometimes I just get cold calls from cold calls from news directors who'd be like, Hey, what's your contract situation? Like, are you interested in leaving? Because they watch me, which was one of those things why, cause I always worked every holiday, which is kind of one of those things that a lot of my mentors taught me coming up too, because you never know like who's watching or who's going to be in the area. So you always want to want to stay working. So, um, Big markets came calling. Then Denver was one of those opportunities. And I ended up being there for a couple of years, covered a Super Bowl there. Was there with Jamal Murray, was uh, drafted. Uh, Michael Malone started as a head coach. So still got a lot of great context there, but it was a great experience. But it was one of those places that I really, looking back now, I was kind of disappointed that I didn't really grasp hold to the community like I had done in Hawaii. Because I knew that this was just a transition, but at the same time, um, in the, uh, the words of Bobby Dahlbeck, try to be where my feet are, as he told me recently in Chicago, you know, as he's playing in Worcester right now, but I did not do that. I was always with the eye ahead as what, what could be on the, on the horizon. So I was there for two years. It was a great experience, but it was time to move on. So, uh, Larry Lawson brought me on, who was a news director at Nesson at the time, one of the TV executives who's now working at WBZ and, I actually went to a convention, the National Association of Black Journalists, 
and they had a booth there so i just stopped by i really didn't know anything about nesting at that point i i had seen them just you know being a baseball fan and watching sports highlight shows you know you'd see the logo when it became when it came to boston teams and at the time actually to go back a little bit when i was in hawaii in 2013 so when the red sox won the world series shane victorino was a part of the team so in local sports like that a lot of times you just follow the guys from the area so I watched that whole run that Shane had, just the incredible experience he had in Boston. So I was familiar with it, but it wasn't my first real introduction until 2015 uh, in Minneapolis at the convention that I had sat down with Larry and they said, oh, we had an opening for a host and reporter without really giving me much of the detail at the time. I just thought it'd be hosting the half hour show, which was Nesson Sports today at that time, the sports show, much like, you know, Sports Center show and doing some reports covering all the sports in town so he brought me on and uh that was in august so then two weeks later i was flying out to boston for an audition i never forget this because my flight was on 9 11 so i i that that stuck in my mind that i was in the air that day landed a couple days audition in boston flew back so this was september mid-september and uh going through the negotiations, kind of got a call back, like, all right, we're moving forward the process because my timeline was short because my contract in Denver was ending just the very next month. So I was under a little bit of a time constraint. So I let them know and they're like, all right, we really like you. We want to move fast on this, which is what we usually don't do. And you guys probably know best in, you know, we don't really move fast on situations like that. So uh, they sped me through, thankfully. And shoot, I started October 16th of 2017. 2016 October 16 2016 so the playoffs had just ended Red Sox just got bounced in the first round by the Cleveland Indians at the time and it was big poppies last year so I was unfortunate that I never got a chance to cover him but that's kind of how I came to Nesson all those years later well one and, hour one hour ended and another began right with Ortiz yeah exactly uh, <laughs> the Jamal Webster so, era so you're at Nesson doing a bunch of different things uh how does the opportunity to sort of be the sideline host on Red Sox telecast come about so so Larry I was I was doing I knew that it would be to some degree a part of my job responsibilities but it wasn't until maybe that December really that so I started October December they came to me I had a meeting with Joseph Marr who was our top executive over production at the time and Larry they're like, you know, what do you think about doing doing some Red Sox? I was like, I mean, sure, that'd be fantastic. I've never done it before to any capacity. Like, I've never done to that degree. I've done, like, one-off freelance events that were live sporting events, um, maybe a handful at that time. And then just my other live reporting was doing local newscasts, live shots at the Broncos game or the Nuggets or the Avalanche, or Colorado Buffaloes, college football, or basketball, or Colorado State, that sort of thing, but never on a live game like that for, you know, a consistent period of time. So we had a meeting. I said, yeah, I'm certainly interested in it, because at that point, it was just novelty to me. So I was always new. I was always willing to to push myself to uh, try different things that I had never done before. And this was obviously appealing. It's live sports. It's the Boston Red Sox. Like, who wouldn't want to do that? So um, at the time, Garen Austin was the the main uh, reporter. So I was her backup and 
I think that spring training, it was still Dustin Pedroia was in the clubhouse. Um, you know, Xander obviously was there, Jackie, Mookie, uh, Andrew Benintendi. So it was like a, a small, a young core group of guys, but also some, some veterans like PD. So, uh, I just remember going around that first spring training and just like introducing myself to everybody and, you know, making their acquaintance and, um, and that's kind of where things took off. So that first spring training, I did maybe 10, 10, 15, maybe around there, some games. And, um, and that's, that's, that was the beginning of it. And I just was filling, I think I did that first year, actually, I think I did 40, 40 games. And then the following year, I ended up doing like 70 something. It was kind of ridiculous. And that was not part of the plan. It's because Garen had some health issues. So she was away for a little bit and I just kind of thrust into it. And, uh, and that's when I was just like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, this is much different than, than being in the studio, something I hadn't done uh, before. So I really started to enjoy it and uh, it just kind of took off from there. So like I said, after she's left the last three years now, this is year three of just being full-time strictly just baseball it's all that I do and um also because we we got rid of our news programs and went shifted and transitioned to do sports betting shows so uh really not a need for me to do that because that is not my expertise so uh it's just been all Red Sox and it's 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 been good you know it's been a grind as you guys know but um it has been pretty pretty eventful over the last few years yeah, that's my next question. Obviously, we're on, you know, the road here and there, not as much as you. I do, you know, Sean and I both do a lot of games, but fewer than you do. I mean, I don't know exactly what your total is going to be for this year, but it's going to be the vast, vast majority of games with the family, with young kids. How much of a grind is it? I mean, how much is it? I, I'm sure everybody looks at this as a dream job and you get to be, you know, team charter, team hotel, the guy <laughs> on TV, all that type of stuff. But there's yeah. there's a price to pay for that, too, right? Oh, absolutely. And that stuff sounds cool to my friends, but you know, my wife is not, she's not exactly blown away by that stuff when I'm not here, basically, you know, the entire summer and leading into the fall when my daughter's starting school or something like that. So that's the the part that really takes a toll because it is, it's a dream to be able to do this. And just this career too, like I, this is something that I've been wanting to be a part of since I was in the third grade. Once I realized much later, not in the third grade, but, you know, high school into college that I wasn't going to go pro in any sport. Uh, I was it's like, I got to find a way to get, <laughs> yeah, I got to find a way to get as close to it as possible. So this was like my avenue. And, um, and I just like, I love it. You know, it, it doesn't feel like work a lot of times, which is great. So that, that part of it is fantastic. And, you know, you get all the perks of those things, like you said, flying on the team charter, really being able to foster relationships with a lot of these guys on the team and the staff, the front office, and you're staying with them in these fantastic hotels. And it's it's great. And sometimes you can take your family along for the ride. So it's, it's nice to have them in visiting, you know, away cities, but, you know, she's doing most of the work here, man. And that's, that's part of the sacrifice. Uh, that you kind of do because you miss out on a lot of moments that go on. Um, And that's really the part that grinds on you. Not so much the everyday, which is, you know, that's exhausting in its own right because a lot of people don't realize, like I talk to my neighbors and stuff, they see me, they're big Red Sox fans and they're like, yeah, you're going a lot. I'm like, yeah, there's a baseball game every single day. People don't realize that 
basically from April all the way to it could go deep into October should they they get that far. So um, that part of the grind, I did not expect, especially my first full season, which was um, 2021 coming off of the COVID year. And I was just, you know, I had a little bit of experience, like I said, filling in, but never to this degree. So I didn't take a day off until the all-star break that year. And I was just like, this can't happen again, you know, not knowing how things will go. So I've gotten a little more strategic about picking off days and, and taking some time off and, and kind of matching it up with off days. So it's more of an extended period of time off. And like you said earlier in the year, when we went to Hawaii for my brother's, my brother-in-law's graduation, that was just like the perfect kind of uh, respite from the grind of baseball. So I've been, I've been more, uh intelligent about doing that but yeah it's 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 one of those things that people who are not in it they don't really understand just how arduous the work is on a daily basis trying to come up with story ideas trying to be fresh and new and and bring something um that you know you hope is is a new you know story to the fans the fan base and the people who are watching you not only are you are you gone for that time, but also this year, quickly, you almost get killed on the road in Cleveland. So, <laughs> yeah. I I was I've been saying that was a publicity stunt. You said it really hurt, but if you want to just take people behind the scenes, yeah, no, that was that, uh, that was this is not uh, World Wrestling Federation. This is not the WWE. This is no entertainment. Any any baseballs that hit your person, absolutely are very painful so uh this was a couple weeks back actually we were in cleveland rafael devers who was a lefty might i add and i'm behind him which usually puts you in a safe zone because they aren't hitting foul balls in your direction it's the righties that you have to worry about so you know i found for my counterpart in cleveland andre not who's the sideline reporter there he's like yeah that's that's really dangerous over there because usually it's josie ramirez who he said he smokes balls in there. So I stay on this side of the, the photo pit, which is by the guardian side. So he's like, just be on the lookout, be on alert. And he told me this last year too. And then there was a few that came close, but nothing like what happened a couple of weeks ago. So Rafi's got his back turned and uh, I think I'm okay. So I'm actually paying attention, which because he told me to be on high alert, which I always do down there because you never know what kind of balls are able to, you know, fly your way. Um, as we find out a couple of weeks prior to that at, at Fenway, where this ball was almost on a heat seeking missile towards me, I tweeted out the picture and had the, uh, the, the tattoo that it remained uh, on the, the dugout well there from that ball. But this one, it was almost like he just, he, it wasn't in between the lines. Obviously he turned on the ball so hard that it was like pitch smack. Oh, it's coming. I had to dive down and it was either get hit in the face because it was literally headed towards my face or move out of the way and then, you know, let the chips fall where they may, which happened to fall right into my ribs on my left side. So uh ball smoked me pretty good and the guys had fun with it. But man, I was telling you, I, I was in some serious pain. Like it was not, it was not fun. It was like I had taken a body shot from Mike Tyson. That's how much it hurt and it knocked the air out of me because I was bracing for the impact, but just the sheer speed at which it came. And it may have had a couple bounces, but, you know, StatCast says 109.3 off the bat. The shirts are in production. Make sure you get yours at a website near you pretty soon here. <laughs> but uh, 
you know, he had some fun with it, but I mean, the, the, the staff was pretty concerned. Like Kyle Hudson was right there. Anthony Serendolo, one of the trainers. And then Doogie had been getting off day. This was actually, I guess this was the day that he got, was the he got benched. Yeah. So they were looking at me in shock because I was keeled over, turned to the side. And I was like, Oh, I didn't realize really what happened at that moment. But I just was like, man, I definitely got struck by the ball. That really hurt badly. I was trying to catch my breath because they were talking to me because they have the replay. Dave and I think it was, oh, yeah, Will Middlebrooks, David Will Middlebrooks. They're like, Jemai, you okay? Look out. And then the director was like, are you okay? I, I gave him a thumbs up. And he was like, no, I need a verbal. I was like, dude, I can't even talk right now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really hurt. So then I grabbed the microphone. I was like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm solid or whatever. But uh, deep down inside, I was I was crying. But, uh, you know, trying to be tough for the cameras. But, um, you know, Doogie had the ball had ricocheted off my ribs back into the dugout. He grabbed it. He said, this belongs to you. So I was like, yeah, I took it proudly. And I still have that ball, by the way. I got to get uh, Rafi to sign it. But he's been dodging me and laughing at me at every moment. Even afterwards, he was like, now you see what we get. And I showed him a huge bruise on my rib. He's like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, listen, nobody's throwing 109.3 from 60 feet, six inches. Maybe 99, 103 if you're dealing with, you know, Johan Duran or Classe or something. Or maybe, you know, um, or all this Chapman in his prime. But nobody's throwing that hard at this point. So spare me. But uh, yeah, they've had a good time with it. And it's kind of gotten its life out of it the last several weeks. I think it's dead now, but uh, thanks for reigniting it. One yeah. of those things that brought me into, thrust me into the spotlight. <laughs> yeah, happy to. Jemai, Nesson viewers see you as part of the pregame show. They see you doing a walk-off interview sometimes after a win in front of the dugout. But a lot of your job during the game is, uh, you know, maybe conveying some conversations you've had with players beforehand you're trying to provide a little context and color uh, as, as the game goes on uh, talk a little bit about that relationship building that has to happen with the players for them to gain some trust with you both on camera and, and off to you know to provide some of that information you're looking for how do how difficult is that to build within that rapport Pretty, it's it actually, it's, it's probably one of the most difficult things to do in my estimation, just being able to cover other sports. And I think that's because baseball is every day. So it's like, I could talk to Raphael Devers every day because he's that good. You know, he always does something that's noteworthy that um, can make him the star of the game, probably eight times out of 10, more often than not. But you don't want to kind of go to the well that many times. So you have to be strategic with uh who you talk to when you talk to them and you know what you want to get from them because you're there for six seven months and you don't want to wear out your welcome so to speak as my mom used to say so finding that balance of okay well i talked to him last week if it was on camera by the way because these guys just love the camera so much they they want to be in front of it every chance that they get just kidding uh but I try to restrict that to, you know, maybe once a week, if that, because what, because they're great memories, right? That like, it seems like they, they tally that stuff and they really know like the things that they've done and how many times they've done it. And one of the most notorious guys uh, who would do that to me was JD Martinez, <laughs> who's with the Dodgers. Now he'd be like, 
hey, we just did this last week. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's well, it's a new week. You know, we're on the road now. Like, you still you're still swinging it good. He's like, well, I mean, well, I just did it. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I need you again. If you don't want to be interviewed, man, just start sucking. That would be my that would that would be my uh my rebuttal all the time. But he would always be gracious enough eventually after this quick back and forth to to do it. But I try to try to keep that at a minimum because of that fact that they keep track of these things. It seems like a running tally. And so other times maybe I just, okay, you know, I just need a quote or something. I need some insight on here or, you know, you made this adjustment. So I'll just do it in a conversation. Um, and I could just write down in my notebook or something of that nature, or maybe I, I, I get a secondhand version. So if it's a, a hitting situation, I talked to Pete Fatsy about, Devers, or I talked to him about Justin Turner or the adjustment that Jaron Duran has made with his hands. So I don't always speak to the guy if I can have that option. And I mean, the Red Sox have plenty of hitting coaches. So that kind of goes, you know, I, th that leads me with a few different directions I can go in. Pitching coach is a little different because I feel like I'm always talking to Dave. I'm always asking him this and, and that. And he, and he uh, you know, he always gives me a funny look every now and then, but he's, he's always willing to do it as well but it's one of those things because you don't want to become a nuisance like it's like like we are yeah i mean no but you guys i feel like the 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 ease with which you guys can get things is because there's no camera it's just one thing about the camera with certain players especially when they just come up um and they're introduced to the bright lights big stage of the big leagues that they kind of shell up like i think garrett woodlock has an amazing personality but when the camera camera goes off he kind of changes a little bit, right? So I enjoy talking to him off camera because sometimes I that's more fruitful than doing an on-camera interview for mm -hmm. me, at least until either guys get more comfortable or they just kind of transition to a, to a stage where they don't really recognize that it's there. So it's one of those things where you got to find the balance, but um, forging those relationships is key. And I tell everybody, re really, when people ask me for advice and when I when I did your class, uh, professor, adjunct professor Catillo, uh, <laughs> instructor, instructor, not professor, yes, adjunct instructor. And, you know, when when people come to me and seek um, any type of uh, advice on just how to create that relationship in industry, I feel like the first thing and foremost is you have to introduce yourself. It's one thing to go up to somebody in a clubhouse when you're just popping in there and just stick a mic in their face and they're just like, well, this is kind of um, informal or like this is formal, but this is just kind of invasive. So I think a lot of people don't do that and they just come in there and they just try to stick. I've seen this in Phoenix. It was hilarious. Uh, this guy post game after one of the D-backs games, he was trying to interview Kike and he was like, he just like stuck a mic in his face and walked up to him. And he was like, who are you? <laughs> like, what's your name? And it's just like, oh, sorry, I'm such and such from XYZ publication. It's like, oh, okay, now we can do this. But it's just one of those things where um, I felt like helps bridge the gap, you know. And I, I this was years ago when I was covering the Patriots a little bit. And I remember going up to Matthew Slater and doing that. And he was like, I was like, hey, I'm Jemiah Webster, work for Ness, and, you know, I'll be here covering the season a little bit. And he's like, oh, man, great to meet you. Thanks for introducing yourself. I appreciate that. So it was one of those things that kind of, starts the groundwork for having a relationship so guys know who you are you know and it, and it kind of builds a little bit of trust there um once they're aware of who you are and you know and and they see your work i think they watch everything they got they got rabbit ears too they hear everything they listen to everything they read everything although they may deny it 
And uh, they're aware of the work that you do and, you know, the relationships that you have around the clubhouse. So uh, I think that allows you to build trust and has done that for me, I guess, over the last several years as well. We referenced earlier the grind of travel and how long the baseball season can be. Uh, you're fortunate in that you get to travel on the team charter, which means you get into cities you don't have a lot of early wake-up calls, but you do get in the middle of the night. You stay at very nice hotels. Yeah. Uh, you must have a couple of good travel stories over the last few years. Um, share with us one or two that you feel comfortable sharing. <laughs> That's a good one. I mean, let me see. Um, hmm. I mean, I think UK has told the one ad nauseum about uh in toronto when we ran into arnold schwarzenegger several times so that was pretty cool because these are you know very nice hotels so you see a lot of celebrities and uh, you're you're at you're not staying at the at the dew drop in you're you're at a <laughs> no, exactly or or... These, these are places that i would never stay on my own dime but uh because of the the red sox you know i'm uh, i'm grateful to be to be in some of these rooms but uh one time it's Toronto and, and to and also because you see Arnold Schwarzenegger this big action movie star and you just think he's larger than life but he is no disrespect Chris but he's probably about your height wow <laughs> this has been and the Fenway rundown older now and uh he just kind of walks through and it felt like the Red Sea had parted because he's coming through with bodyguards and he's making a space and we're like who is this guy because literally the entire team is waiting to get on the elevator to go up to everybody's room and it's Arnold, man. And and Yuke uh, says the first thing. He's like, I think I can take him, which was hilarious because he's like in his 60s or 70s or whatever. It's like, he's kind of an older gentleman, man. You got to take it easy on him. So that was that was pretty fun. And actually on that same trip, randomly, the Jaguars owner, Shad Khan, was staying there as well. So he was in the lobby one time post game. We came, you know, to try to get some food in the in the lobby bar there. And uh, it's just Shad Khan hanging out. And it's like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. So you kind of get put into this environment where there's a lot of clientele. But I think one of the more interesting ones was last year in New York, where they were having some type of political, like a United Nations convention or something. And like every diplomat from every country and every major player and every political climate was in New York City. And they were staying at our hotel. So um, literally trying to get into the hotel and back, you had to go through customs every single time. And then they had to take all of our gear off site and go through it meticulously. And they actually ruined my suitcase on this trip, which is why I got a new one, which is great. But um, it was smashed in and they had stabbed the sheer, you know, nylon on the inside of it. And I'm like, what did they do to this thing? I'm like, it's not like we're just some, you know, Joe Schmo off the street. Like, this is with the team. You know, it's not like, I mean, I understand that they have to be, you know, pretty diligent about checking everything and being meticulous. But I was like, this is a little bit OD. They went kind of overboard. So they absolutely smattered my my suitcase and I had to get a new one this season. But um, that was one of the more interesting things. And and I'm trying to think, oh, this year, uh when we played the the angels at the hotel there 
I guess so the the LA Chargers they were having their OTA as a rookie minicamp so all their draftees were staying in there as well and I ran into Max Duggan the quarterback from TCU on the elevator and I was like it's one of those things where you see somebody who's a celebrity or who has notoriety in sports whatever and you're like I'm like where do I know this dude from and because I'm from Southern California I'm like did I play with this guy like coming up I'm like trying to figure it out because he's he's like andy andy uh andy dalton he's a little redhead but he just looks like a regular regular dude from california but uh it took me two seconds to kind of finally finally realize it was him and i was like hey man what's going on and he was like hey what's happening and like we're having a conversation at least from my perspective where i'm like you know i know who you are but he may be just talking to me because he's like i'm a nice guy but I'm sure that at this point in his career, because of, you know, how he took TCU so deep into the college football playoff, he probably realizes that people know who he is now. But he said, holy uh, shit, it's like, Jamar yeah, Webster. <laughs> yeah, probably unlikely. But uh, it's just a lot of those interactions kind of happened. And, you know, not my story to tell, but one year also in New York, uh, Kim Kardashian was at one of the hotels that we stayed at. And OB ran into her he said it felt like time and space had stopped she'd come through the elevators and it was like this glowing light he was like oh my goodness she's gorgeous in person and she had all this you know popper so all of a sudden the paparazzi's flashes start going off and he's like what's happening right now they they probably thought he was shooting him but i was like no it was kim k they got her instead but uh you run into a lot of high level celebrities and uh that's pretty cool and you know athletes as well but nothing otherwise of note that i can find of interest other than just some of these run-ins well you have big run-ins ahead of you this weekend in toronto and you have before that a very very important haircut which you got to get to so jumai we appreciate you making your long-awaited and very important fenway rundown debut hey i appreciate you guys for having me and uh if it wasn't for sean asking me i would have never done it thank you appreciate it (laughs) 